Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. The Jet Life just took a turn for the worst. In my emotional standing, it is not in a great place right now. The Jets are truly quarterbackless. I was last coming to you live uh, March 30th, two weeks ago. Sam Darnold, the big news breaks on April 5th. He's getting traded, sent off to Carolina. We were originally planning on doing this episode as a draft preview and then doing one more on the 27th as a draft preview to set up the draft on the 29th, but things change. Just like things change when Sam Darnold was shipped off by Joe Douglas to Carolina, we need to adapt. We need to do a little bit of a debriefing, really. I mean, this whole podcast began, what, three, four, five years ago because I needed a place to vent and a place to get out all of my feelings on the New York Jets and what was going on. And shortly after that, quarterback that I had, you know, in terms of play style and personality had fallen in love with watching on the field and believing it, all my hope was put into one guy and it was taken from us. And now we're sitting at this, this crossroads of opportunity and ambiguity and new people making decisions and new coaches and quarterbacks coming in. We have no idea what this team is going to be looking like two, three years from now. Thought we did. You know, 2018, I thought I had a good idea of what this Jets team was going to be looking like. I had the Jets pegged for 2022 Super Bowl run with Sam Darnold at quarterback. But that, it's not going to happen now. He's going off to Carolina. So this episode is going to be a little different than we had planned. We're going to start with the Sam Darnold news. How did we get here? It's going to be a little bit of a battle between the heart and the mind. Now we're going to talk about the plan moving forward, which brings us to our, you know, prelims for the 2021 NFL draft is going to kind of bring us there as our bridge. This episode will touch on the draft a little bit, but it's going to primarily focus on Sam Darnold for the beginning. I also do not have a father time for this episode because my dad is having another eye procedure. He had to get one eye done. Now the other eye, I got a message from him today that so far so good, but he is not in a place to be typing or writing or putting anything together. I can't wait to get his thoughts for next episode. I'll make sure that on the 27th, we don't just get draft preview because I know he's got a lot of thoughts on the draft we get a little bit of you know a statement on Sam Darnold I think he owes us that one statement on Sam so we'll get that from him I got the uh the podcast set up here is coming together got a new microphone got uh, the new the new setup so better than last week a little bit more comfortable in here and hopefully I sound all right but yeah we got to get into it we got to get into the Sam Darnold stuff so that we can move on get some closure here and then really focus on the draft because you know, as upset as I may be, disappointed emotionally, I can rationalize this entire thing from a team standpoint. I look forward to doing that with you guys, and I'm still super excited about the future with this team. Even if it's not Sam Darnold, a quarterback, having a new quarterback is always exciting, even when it's just like the prospect of Geno Smith or Christian Hackenberg. You've never seen them play, and you think in your head, like, what if he's the guy? What if he can do it? And as Jets fans, we've realized since Joe Namath, it really hasn't ever gone our way, aside from a quick stint with, uh, you know, Vinny Testaverde after he left the Buccaneers and then drafting Chad Pennington, having a little little run with him, but it's not really gone so well over the years. We will be doing that one more time, something that we are plenty used to as Jets fans. But before we get into this, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It is under the Gang Green Nation 
podcast series title, This is the Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. So now it begins, right where it ends with Sam Darnold. As he's traded to the Carolina Panthers, his New York Jets career is closed. At least at this moment in time. I have made the joke a few times that the Jets now have enough draft capital over the next two years that if Sam Darnold puts together a really nice season in Carolina this year, we probably can't afford to get him back, which is a great saving grace to this whole thing, a silver lining to it. But in reality, we know that Sam Darnold, unless he comes back at the latter half of his career, um, he's probably not going to be playing in green and white ever again. So he plays three total seasons for the New York Jets after being drafted third overall in 2018. He started 38 games for us and had a total record of 13 and 25. 13 and 25, I think, is more indicative of the performance we got from Adam Gase, not so much from Sam Darnold himself. But, of course, many people always pointed to the fact that he didn't win. He didn't find a ton of success on the field. His best season was by far 2019. That was his second season in the league. He threw 62%. Over 3,000 yards for the only time. Career-high 19 touchdowns, only 13 interceptions. That was an 84 quarterback rating. Still not as good as you'd like to see, but when you keep in mind the supporting cast he had, again, all three years he had, it's a running theme of just bad supporting cast around him. But he went 7-6 and six that season. He missed three games with a foot injury. But other than that, I mean, that's a pretty good season for a second-year player, and that was where the promise, I think, peaked with him. When it comes down to career numbers... 8,097 yards is where Sam Darnold leaves his Jets career. 45 touchdown passes. Both of those numbers are eighth all-time in New York Jets franchise history. They are ahead of players like Ryan Fitzpatrick, Geno Smith, Neil O'Donnell, Dick Wood, Josh McCown, Al Darrow, Brett Favre. Those are some guys that Sam Darnold has more passing yards than and more passing touchdowns than. When you come to the guys that are ahead of him, it's the same guys for both. It's Broadway Joe, Kenny O, Richard Todd, Chad, Vinny, the Sanchez, and Boomer. So those guys, those seven players are consistently ahead. So Sam Darnold kind of finishes, you know, unfortunately kind of in that area that Sanchez was, but didn't have the same team around him, didn't have the opportunity to play in the playoffs. Sam Darnold never played a playoff game for the Jets, of course, with a 13-25 and career record. Not many opportunities for that, but it's just a bummer because I really thought this guy had what it takes. And we look at those career numbers, and we close this chapter of Jets history after three years of doing this and having so much hope and promise in a player, taking him third overall, but we got a new GM, we got new coaches now, and the Jets are turning the leaf. You can't blame them. But we look at those numbers, we look at 2019, we looked at a decent rookie season, we looked at a really tough Adam Gase regime and a horrible last year in 2020 and some definite speed bumps along the way in Sam Darnold's career with the Jets. Let's take it back to the beginning. My relationship with Sam Darnold and why it was so impactful with everything that was going on. So a little just bent here. I usually try to keep this stuff analytical. That's just how this podcast is. I try to play the fence, try to see both sides, always be optimistic, rationalize things. All right, what would a GM do? What would a player do? What would the front office do? And ownership. Everybody's got their own agendas. They're always a million different paths that you can take to be successful. When it comes down to Sam Darnold himself, you're talking about probably my third favorite player of all time. It's Curtis Martin, number one, no question. But then right behind him, Darrell Rivas and Sam Darnold are basically tied. That's basically my second favorite player. One of the two, pick your poison, both were super important to me at a certain point in my life. But Sam Darnold was the first quarterback I was ever completely sold on. Ever. 
with all the guys, Chad Pennington, Vinny Testaverde, go through any of them. I always had a reason not to be 100% in. Vinny Testaverde, I was young, and he got injured in some pretty big games when I was young, and I remember being really let down by that. Chad Pennington, he never really had the flashy arm to keep up with some of the fast receivers that we had. And it was like, ah, I wish we had one of these guys with a cannon. You're watching Dante Culpepper play every weekend, and then you're watching Chad Pennington not be able to hit Santana Moss down the field, and you're like, oh, man, this is a bummer. But Sam Darnold, was, he was different. He seemed like he had everything when he came in. Now, it didn't start when he was drafted by the New York Jets. For me, it started with me and my dad way before that, the Rose Bowl, 2016. Sam Darnold's like 18 years old at this time. He's played a big game against Penn State. In the Rose Bowl, so a huge game as he's playing for USC. I don't watch a lot of college football, but me and my dad, as I'm living with him at that point, I think I'm like 23 years old, staying at his place. We're watching the game. I don't know any of these players, but Sam Darnold's out there, and they're losing. They're losing the game 35-49 to in the fourth quarter. Sam Darnold comes back, leads the Trojans to a victory to win 52-49. to He wins Rose Bowl MVP, has this comeback at 18 years old, and I'm thinking to myself, who is this Sam Darnold guy? He's just a freshman? That was unbelievable what he just did. And then he has the interview. And as a 23-year-old kid who just graduated college, I'm very used to people between the ages of 18 and 23. And I know kind of the way they carry themselves and the way that they speak, especially in public situations and on a big stage like that when your emotions are going crazy. He was the most calm, collected, cerebral, team-oriented player that I'd ever heard. And at 18 years old, I'm thinking to myself, how does this guy have it all together? And I knew right then this guy is built different. He's just got it. He has the ability to come back, win, play on the big stage, does it with so much composure and class. That was when I was officially sold. So we go into 2017 season, and he's like a leading Heisman candidate at this point. He's probably going to be one of the first quarterbacks taken in the draft. We already know it, potentially the first overall. So we're just watching that season go. And at this time, the Jets are a pretty shitty team, and the whole bandwagon thing starts for suck for Sam. People are wearing paper bags over their head. Jets fans are like, we need to just lose. We need to get this guy. He could be the difference maker. So suck for Sam becomes a big thing that everybody starts getting into. Now the draft is coming up. Sam Darnold had a pretty good second season, sophomore year with the Trojans. Not as good as his first year. Didn't win that big game or play on the big stage, but it was a good season, and he was still projected to be the first quarterback taken. Cleveland Browns had the first overall pick. Giants number two. Jets number three. Everybody knew Sam Darnold was the best quarterback, better than Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, or Josh Allen, though there was a ton of debate about those guys at that time. As a Jets fan, originally drafting sixth in that draft before trading up with the Colts to get to three, we had to really look at all of those guys very, very closely because we weren't sure who we were going to get. Kind of the way we are this year, drafting second overall, we have to look at Fields, Wilson, Lawrence, whatever. So we go through all these guys. We're very familiar with them all. But Sam Darnold always seemed like a pipe dream. Seemed like a guy that was going to go to the Cleveland Browns first overall. Of course, Sam is the guy that I wanted from the Rose Bowl. Everybody else, I'm like, I'm selling myself. I think Josh Rosen could be okay. Didn't like Baker Mayfield at all. Josh Allen was a very intriguing prospect. My dad loved him, thought he was the second best by far. But we both were sold. Sam is the number one. Not going to be available. The day before the draft, I have a very vivid dream of the Cleveland Browns selecting Baker Mayfield first, then Saquon Barkley, and then Sam Darnold going to the Jets. I wrote this on Twitter. The timestamp, it was done before the draft. This was a very vivid dream that I had, and I was like, oh, my God, this could happen. Why would I have that dream? You know, just trying to believe in something. The draft comes. The Browns are on the clock. They take Baker Mayfield. That is probably the most I've ever cheered for a draft pick in my entire life because at that moment I said to myself, unless the Giants are going to do something crazy and draft Sam Darnold right now, 
we may have a shot to get him here. The Giants don't trade. They draft Saquon Barkley at that number two spot, the second most I've ever cheered for a draft pick because at that point when number three came, it wasn't even a question in my mind. I knew they were taking Sam Darnold. It wasn't like, oh, my God, they took him. It was the minute Saquon Barkley was taken, the Jets got Sam Darnold. And that in a very difficult New York Jets life, that was one of the happiest I've ever been about the team. Beating the Patriots in the playoffs, number one. Winning some other playoff games, definitely up there. Getting Sam Darnold, incredible. I mean, as good as it got in my world. I was sure we are now destined. We've got our guy for 20 years. Finally, imagine just knowing, after all the searching, every three years, going from Chad to Sanchez to Gino, maybe Hackenberg, and going through these guys with some journeymen along the way, just thinking, it's over. We found our guy. Now we can just focus on building the team the right way. How perfect. We knew Sam Darnold had a great interview at the Rose Bowl, but then right when he's drafted, another incredible interview, super classy, super confident. He just seems like the right guy. And when you're being the quarterback of the New York Jets, I mean, that's a big deal. The Jets have a very nasty, very difficult fan base to get on your side. When they love you, they love you. But when they hate you, they turn quick. You've got a ton of distractions living in New York, and you've got one of the biggest media presences in all of sports. You've got not three beat writers, you've got 12. It's very difficult to be successful there, but you could just tell that he was built and wired the right way. So the press conferences were great all through the offseason, seeing him in training camp, all that stuff. You're just like, wow, this guy just has it. He's looking great, looking sharp, better than any other young quarterback we've had going in. And he plays his first game, first throw of his career against the Lions. He throws a pick six. Holy shit, across the field, you're like, what the hell just happened? But he gets it out, and he just shows. He's got the composure. He's got the moxie. He gets back in there. He leads the Jets to a big win. First game of the season. Arrows pointing up. Life is good. He continues to progress, but he's got bad weapons. We got bad coaching team. We got to get rid of Todd Bowles. And it's like, all right, Sam Darnold's the guy, but we got to get a better coaching staff around him. It's clear that the one that we had there is failing him. Unfortunately, with Mike McCagden, we make the decision to go after Adam Gase, Dowell Loggins, Greg Williams. That's the unit that comes in for the Jets. Sam Darnold has a pretty good second year. Despite all that, he has no quarterback coach. No idea why. He's got a weird offensive coordinator in Dawa Loggins, who we have no clue what his role was in anything except for calling plays for like three games and throwing the challenge flag four times. He's working with Dawa Loggins a ton. You're like, is this really the right mind for Sam Darnold? But I don't know. He is progressing in year 2019. It is his best season yet. And then, again, no good draft picks. Mike McCagden's guys have not panned out. We're getting rid of players faster than we're gaining them. We have no good young receivers really playing for him. The running backs are getting bad. We have to find new guys who are paying heavily for older players that don't have much left in the tank, like Frank Gore and Le'Veon Bell. 2020 comes, and he regresses. There's horrible coaching all season long. Sam Darnold goes from being a confident player on the field who likes to move around, find openings, and throw with confidence, even if it's not always a wide-open receiver. Maybe he's throwing to a covered guy or giving a guy a shot. He does throw with confidence, but when Adam Gase is there, in two years, you can just see his brain start to become more fragmented and frazzled with every decision. Like, I think I'm supposed to do this and, and that. And Adam Gase tries to claim that he's some sort of quarterback guru, some sort of offensive genius. I think that his ideas are just so convoluted and distorted that he doesn't even get his sense across properly. It confused Sam Darnold. Ended up making uh, more problems than good. And the writing was on the wall at that point that the coaching staff was going to be gone. 
And Sam Darnold is going to be in a weird spot because you've got a new GM here in Joe Douglas who's done one draft. You've got the number two overall pick. Adam Gase is gone. you got a new head coach coming in, a new system. Everyone talks about the Shanahan system that you're going to be getting with Mike LaFleur and Robert Sala coming from San Francisco. And the wonder is, what are the Jets going to do here? Are they going to trade back and keep Sam Darnold? Are they going to trade Sam Darnold? Are they going to draft a quarterback and keep Sam Darnold? That was the side that I was kind of leaning towards. It was like, all right, listen, we're going to need a backup quarterback anyway. Why not draft a guy, keep Sam there? If there's one, people are talking like, that's weird. You can't do that to a guy. It's going to mess with their head. It's going to mess with their psyche. If there's one thing that I know about Sam Darnold, it's that his composure, his, his confidence, and his ability to just be honest with himself is stronger than basically anybody we've ever had under center before. He's the kind of guy that can handle that. So to say that, I think it's just a lame excuse for like, well, we just don't see that happen in the NFL very often. It just couldn't work. Listen, this guy would be perfectly fine. Don't worry about Sam. But on the 5th, April 5th, just a week ago, Joe Douglas decides to pull the trigger and make the trade. So that is the true sadness of it all right there. That's the moment where it's like, boom, it's over. I still thought in the back of my head, like, if we can get this team around, we're still going to see Sam Darnold have great days. I didn't give up on that fact. I still believe it. I've got friends who think I'm crazy because I've never once let up. This is a guy that, like I said, from the Rose Bowl and on, he always seemed like he had promise. He played the way that I wanted him to play. He could roll out. He could be creative with the ball. He's got a little bit of sneaky athleticism, can throw from so many different angles. He throws to so many different receivers, can make first, second, third reads. He's a little aggressive, which you like in a quarterback. But the team around him was never good enough. And ultimately, Joe Douglas had to pull the trigger and trade Sam Darnold. So now goes the reason behind it all. That was heart. That was emotion. That was how I feel about Sam Darnold and why I want him here. Now, we have to move past that because what's done is done. Sam Darnold's in Carolina and Joe Douglas pulled the trigger. So I believe that Joe Douglas has a plan. I think that it makes sense for him. He's a brand-new GM. He hasn't picked his own quarterback. Sam was there when he got him. You don't draft second very often. You don't usually have this many quarterbacks this highly coveted that often. And when you're there drafting second with a class like this and a contract that's expiring on Sam Darnold, you got to think to yourself, this may be the time to pull the trigger. So Joe Douglas does that. Sam Darnold traded the Carolina 2021 sixth-round pick. That's the 226th pick overall, so that's added, and that becomes the Jets' 10th pick in this 2021 draft. 2022, we get a second-round pick and a fourth-round pick. The Panthers last year, I mean, they're drafting, what, eighth overall this year, so you'd expect that, I mean, with Sam Darnold, if they're a better team, maybe they're middle of the pack. So that's going to end up being something like the 46th overall pick and then a fourth-round pick. It's probably going to be, you know, middle of the fourth round. Of course, you got compensatory picks and things in the third round that get the numbers all jumbled up. But when you look at the trade chart for the amount of points for each one, if you add up like the points for a second round pick somewhere in the middle, a sixth round pick, 226 overall, and a fourth round pick somewhere in the middle, it basically adds up to about a late first round pick, maybe somewhere like 25, 26. So essentially, he got the value of a first round pick for Sam Darnold. And that was something that all along we said, well, if we could get a first-round pick, that's the type of thing that we would do to move Sam Darnold. Um, you don't want to give up on him, but of course, he's got a new contract coming up. Well, this one expiring. And you'd have to figure out, are you going to pick up his team option, which at that point would have been $25 million? Or do you want to try to sign him to a long-term extension after that or roll the dice and get nothing? So Joe decides to get 
something forward. He gets those three picks. Now, the Jets eat $5 million in dead cap money there. It clears $4.8 million in cap space of his $9.8 million contract that he had left in his fourth year. Now, we have that $4.8 million, so Joe Douglas on top of the 25 or so that we had. He can go after more players. Of course, you have to keep some to sign rookies, but he can go after a backup quarterback or an offensive lineman or you know cornerback like Richard Sherman or somebody who's available. But also on top of it, something that we've seen Joe Douglas do since being here is you can roll a bunch of that cap over and then carry it into the next year as rollover to have more money then. And I think when you look at it, the way the Jets are being built through the draft and everything, it almost makes sense not to spend the money. Wait until you have your core pieces through young guys set, and then when you have your gaps and you're like, you know what, we've got a bunch of money, we've only got seven, eight big gaps left, now we do some big contracts. But right now we don't have enough position to set with guys that are going to be here long-term through contracts and rookie deals and stuff. So you probably do want to roll a bunch of that over. But the Jets right now are stuck with only two quarterbacks on the roster, Captain James Morgan and Tim White, who's been up and down off the active roster so many times over the past two years. And Captain Morgan, who has never really even touched the field, We've hardly seen him play even in training camps or anything. So you're wondering to yourself, what do we have here? It sounds like we need a starting quarterback and a backup quarterback. This is the worst quarterback system or setup right now that you could ever have. Of course, we are going to be making a move. We know that we're going to add another quarterback. But like today with Captain Morgan and Tim White, you would rather have Brooks Bollinger and Luke Falk because at least both of them have touched the field before and have some experience. So you know that... We're going to be bringing someone else in. There are good quarterbacks in the draft. We have a new offensive scheme with Shanahan's system coming in through Michael Floor and Robert Sala. We can reset the quarterback cap hit by going with a young quarterback over Sam Darnold having to pick up the option or sign him to a long-term deal. We've got that rare opportunity, number two overall, in the draft with a bunch of great quarterbacks available, and Joe Douglas can finally get his guy at quarterback. He can finally have his coach, because Adam Gase wasn't his. He can have his quarterback. Sam Darnold wasn't his, and he can have his draft because, for whatever reason, we had that infamous Mike McCagnan draft right before firing him and hiring Joe Douglas. So Joe, Joe Douglas has only done one draft, and so far through, you know, Ashton Davis, Bryce Hall, Denzel Mims, Mackay Becton, Braden Mann, it's been an all right, it's been an all right draft so far. So if we can do that again, more picks, I think that we actually have more ammo this year than we did last year when you look at it, with that second overall pick and all those things lining up, everything is pointing towards the Jets taking a quarterback at number two. It's gotten to the point where it's like, no, we know that's happening. It's not a question. It's just, at this point, kind of who. And that brings us to the draft. That brings us past the Sam Darnold chapter and right towards 2021 as Joe Douglas looks forward two weeks away from the NFL draft about to get his guy and build this team his way for the first time and implement his plan a guy that I've trusted since he got here. He's made nothing but good decisions. My heart may not agree with every single thing that he's done, but my mind says, yeah, it all makes sense in reality. Building it the right way. Save your money. Build through the draft. Build through the trenches. Try to win in a quarterback window. With the rookie contract, I mean, a lot of things pointing up. You could even say that Adam Gase being here for another year got us to that second overall pick. And is what kind of propelled this whole thing. So maybe that was part of the master plan as we always kind of said along was it's possible that Adam Gase is just being used here. Like he's doing his job of losing games. He's trying to win. 
but secretly we're sitting back like knowing. It's kind of like the show Ted Lasso. You hire a guy that you think is going to lose, but unfortunately Adam Gates isn't likable and can't win. So we do. We look ahead at the draft. We look at the quarterbacks that are going to be available, and we look at the rest of the players that we can get because we know we have a lot of holes on this team. We got a lot of one-year contracts in this free agency. We're going to have a lot of holes next year as well. The only way we fill those holes is through the draft. Getting seven to eight one-year deals every single year in free agency for Joe Douglas is not the way that he's building this team. It's happening through the draft. Wave one, Denzel Mims, Mekhi Becton, Natchin Davis, Jabari Zaniga, Bryce Hall, Braden Mann. We talked about those guys. That was wave one. Maybe even Michael Pirine. What's wave two going to bring? The draft, tons of excitement, tons of ammo for the Jets, a guy that we trust to make the decisions. But before that, we got to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little What's On Tap. That is right. This is What's On Tap. And today, I'm drinking something new, something fresh, something light. It's called Flight. It's by Yingling, and Yingling is a beer that I absolutely can't stand, Yingling or Yingling Light. This is Yingling Flight, which is... It's in like a 12-ounce regular can, but it's 2.6 grams of carbs, 95 calories, and 4.2% alcohol. So it's like very similar to the stats of a Michelob Ultra, maybe even slightly less. It's the same colors of a Michelob Ultra, silver and blue, and it kind of tastes like a Michelob Ultra. I think that this tastes, it's got a little bit more flavor, kind of like a Yingling. To me, it tastes like a combo between a Michelob Ultra and a Miller Lite, but it's 95 calories. And when I'm looking at the store and I'm like, all right, I got to take something out of here. Am I going to take a Coors, take a Miller, or am I going to take flight? New York Jets. I saw this thing and I'm like, are you kidding me? A flight for the Jets? That would be absolutely perfect. So like I said, Yingling usually sucks. This thing's actually pretty good. It's very drinkable. It has really no flavor profile at all. Um, If you compare a Michelob Ultra, Miller Lite, you combine those two things, like we're describing something that tastes like water with like a very small hint of beer. And that's what this is. But when you want 95 calories and 4.2% alcohol, not too expensive, something easy to drink, kind of hydrate up after work, this guy's perfect. So the name fits, the beer fits, and that is what's on tap today. Flight by Yingling. So now before we move on, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, folks, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We have found our first step of closure in the Sam Darnold business. We talked it out. We talked the heart, the emotion, and then the mental, rational side of things. Joe Douglas's side, along with my fanman side. But the next step, phase two of the closure process, is the NFL draft. When we have our new quarterback drafted, and he looks great, and he's got his little Jets hat on, taking his thing, we're looking at videos and doing press conferences with him coming in. I'm going to win games, goals to win Super Bowls. We're going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be all about that. And that is step two of closure. So preparing for that, got to look at the NFL draft and get prepared for what the Jets are going to do, not only day one, but day two and three of the NFL draft this year. So the draft coming up, April 29th, 8 p.m. is round one. Probably going to go till like 11, 11 is when it usually goes. Jets' number two pick is going to happen around 820. The number 23 pick, probably somewhere around 1040 or so. So both of those are going to be very fun. And then round two happens April 30th. We get rounds two and three, 7 p.m. The Jets will be drafting 34th overall, which is the second pick in that round. 
And then again, later on, they got a couple more picks. So that day is going to be fun. Starts a little bit earlier. You get a bunch more picks. Joe Douglas makes his moves. And then Saturday, May 1st, we do rounds four, five, six, and seven starting at noon. And that one's tough because they don't do full coverage for it on the Saturday. And Joe Douglas does so many trades on draft day and moves around so much that you can hardly even tell what's going on because they usually are like, for the most part, they've been airing like other shows and just doing a scroll for the bottom for around six and seven because it's not all that interesting to most people. They'd rather do like NFL classic games or just recaps of the first round as other guys are getting drafted. And they announce like four or five picks at a time. You come back and you're like, wait, I thought the Jets were on the clock. And all of a sudden you're like, they're not drafting. Why, why is another team drafting here? You have to look up online what happened. Last year, I followed uh, Connor Hughes, who was at the draft, and he was posting stuff basically right before it happened, which was good because when you were in rounds four, five, six, and seven, and you couldn't get a good feel, he was keeping you up to date. It was not good rounds one through three because you were getting the draft picks before they were happening. A couple of my other friends kind of picked up on this, that he was tweeting like that, and they're texting me before the Jets are making picks, like, oh, girl, we got Denzel Mims. I'm like, you know, goddammit, I'm sitting here with my dad and my family or whatever, like trying to enjoy the draft here. Don't give it away. Those moments are precious. So enjoy the draft this year. But again, expect that Joe Douglas is going to move around the board. And just because you know the draft order that we've got right now, that does not mean that's when we're going to be picking. We start right now with pick 2, 23, 34, 66, 86, 107, 146, 154, 186, and 226. So really quick right now, 226, the kicker, Jose Borregales from Miami. Boom, he's the guy to take. Love the kicker there. When you look at everything else, a couple things happen. You get the second overall picks, you're probably taking a quarterback. Then you wait a long time before pick 23. There's been a big change. we got to hope that some players that the Jets are not interested in are drafted early. Guys like Christian Barmore, defensive lineman, you know, maybe taking other quarterbacks. We hope that guys like Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, maybe even, you know, Kellen Mond slides his way up into there so that he can be drafted beforehand and the Jets can have more players available at 23. Then after that, it's not too long before they pick at 34 again. The big gap happens between 34 and 66. That's a big one. Then you wait again between 66 and 86, 86 to 107, 107 to 146. Those are all big gaps between those. And then you got that 146 and 154. That's a nice kind of back-to-back thing. Joe Douglas is going to be packaging these trades. He's going to be moving up, moving down. He's going to be adding picks, trading picks, moving up, and... uh, you know, keep your eyes peeled because that happened a ton last year. He showed great manipulation of the draft board, but you never really knew when he was going to pick someone or what he was going to do. And it was driving me crazy. It's like Denzel Mims is on the board and the Jets are on the clock and they traded away and you're like, no freaking way. We need Denzel Mims. Then he gets the pick. Denzel Mims is still on the board. You draft him later on. And you're like, wait a minute. What? How did that work out? So expect those trades and expect that a quarterback is locked into that number two pick. With Sam Darnold gone, and Captain Morgan and Tim White is the only two quarterbacks on the roster, we absolutely need one. And you know that Joe Douglas is just ripping to get his guy right now. New quarterback contract, super cheap. His guy, you get him for four or five years guaranteed. Fresh meat. You know, you got all these guys to choose from. Yeah, you probably won't get Trevor Lawrence. He's probably going to be the consensus first overall pick going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But anybody else you want, he's yours. Gone are the ideas of potentially trading back. Gone are the ideas of potentially not drafting a quarterback. When you look at the quarterbacks, in my opinion, there are four good ones, and then there's one kind in the middle, and then three guys behind them. The Jets are not going to be looking for those three back guys. They're not going to be looking for that that fifth guy 
probably either looking for top tier talent. We mentioned that Trevor Lawrence is going to be gone at number one of the Jaguars. All signs are pointing towards that. We still got two and a half weeks till the draft, so it's definitely possible that something could happen. We know these draft stories start picking up heat and all, whoa, whoa. But now looking at these quarterbacks, the number one guy on everybody's board, unless you're Chris Sims, is Trevor Lawrence. He's going to go to the Jaguars. We know it. There's plenty of stuff that can happen between now and the draft, but he's going there. He's been hyped by the entire league, ESPN, every sports outlet for three years now. He's won the big game. He's six foot six, long blonde hair, great guy. He just seems like the perfect savior for a franchise. I'm not completely sold on him, believe it or not, but that's okay because we're not going to be drafting him. When you come to pick number two or the number two quarterback in this draft, I honestly right now, call it a cop-out, I've got 2A, 2B. 2A, maybe a notch ahead, Zach Wilson, and right below him, Justin Fields. I have those guys even because they're two totally different prospects to me, and both are extremely exciting. I've kind of been a little bit leaning more Zach Wilson. My dad's been leaning a little bit more Justin Fields this whole time. I see the arguments for both, but to me, Zach Wilson has the lower floor and the higher ceiling. Bigger risk, bigger upside. He's had injury concerns. He played for a small school. He's not been under center a ton. None of them really have, other than Trey Lance, believe it or not. Um, He doesn't have great footwork. He's got to work on all that stuff. And you wonder, when he gets into the NFL, are these things going to catch up to him? Is he going to struggle? It's very possible that a guy like him, coming from BYU and finding success there, not playing for all that long, and you know, just kind of coming out of the woodworks this year, it feels like, and becoming a big name, it's very possible that he struggles early on and maybe he doesn't get it. We've seen a lot of, I mean, how many guys have the Jets drafted that just never really got it the way you hoped they would? Yeah, when you look at the stuff and you look at the highlights and this and that, you can say, oh, well, if he does all this stuff in the NFL, it's going to be amazing. He's going to be perfect. But if it doesn't work out and it doesn't come together, the guy just flops and flails and you end up firing your coaches and your GMs and redraft and everything just goes to shit. That's happened over and over for this team. It's not always because the quarterback's not great. Sometimes the situation's not great. Sometimes the coaching's not great. Everything's got to be the perfect storm. If it all comes together for him, this guy plays great backyard ball-style football. It's kind of like when you look at the new the new wave of great young quarterbacks. You look at like Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, and they've got characteristics similar to like Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, and that's being able to buy time in the pocket, then rolling out of the pocket and throwing from various platforms, all different positions with your body, across the field, up the field, left, right, regardless of which way you're rolling out, and then pick up yards on your feet when you have to as well. Kyler Murray's another guy who does this stuff. Being able to run around, buy time, find guys downfield. In the NFL, you get like three seconds in a clean pocket. A lot of receivers have trouble getting open in that amount of time. If you can move, find four or five seconds by rolling out, like Patrick Mahomes does, and then you can get your eyes downfield and find a guy. That's when you get the big plays, the big gainers. Zach Wilson can absolutely do that, and he did a ton of that at BYU. And that's when you look at him, you're like, wow, if this all comes together, you're talking like a Patrick Mahomes type of player, a Deshaun Watson type of player. He's got that ability. You know the one I'm talking about when you run around behind the line of scrimmage, just waiting, buying time, buying time, boom, someone's open, bang, hit him. That's what he does. He's got great accuracy downfield, and he likes to look for the big play, and he moves around really well. So when you see that, you're like, this is the guy that if things work out, It's going to be freaking awesome. And that's why I have him first, because I trust the coaching staff, and I think that we will be building a better team around him. I think that already Corey Davis and having um, Jamison Crowder and Denzel Mims, I think that we've got a better unit already. But Joe Douglas's draft, these 10 picks, it's going to be even better going into the season. And I think that he will find success with the coaching staff and the roster. It's not going to be 
a big tornado like it's been in the past, it's going to be the perfect storm and he's going to find it. If he doesn't, it'll be trouble. That's when you look at a guy like Justin Fields. Justin Fields, higher floor, lower ceiling. He doesn't have that, that attitude of just like going for the big play, always looking for the home run, not as flashy as Zach Wilson. But what he is, he's extremely accurate and he's super athletic. And he makes good decisions, played against big schools, right? Super tough. We saw him get injured in some games. No, he didn't play his best in the national championship game against Alabama, but he was great the week before against Clemson. And Justin Fields has so much athleticism. We just saw him on a 4-4 40-yard dash, and you're like, even if he has trouble making reads or making adjustments at the line or going to third, fourth options in a, in a route tree, the guy still has wheels to pick up yards. Now, Zach Wilson's got some sneaky athleticism, but nothing like Justin Fields. Justin Fields is going to be able to pick up those yards, kind of like how Kyler Murray, you know, he's not quite there yet as a passer, but when things break down, he can run, pick up yards, and you can win games that way. Justin Fields has that. He's going to be successful in the NFL because if one part of his game doesn't do well, the other part is still so strong that he's probably going to be okay. And that passing portion of his game, he's not some, he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Trey Lance. I mean, this is a, a polished passer who's played on a very high level for a long time. So Justin Fields, a very intriguing option as well. When you listen to the reports, all signs are pointing towards Zach Wilson. Everybody seems to say right now, it's already done. The Jets are taking Zach Wilson. Now, I know better than that to believe something like that on April 13th. We got a draft on April 29th. We got 16 days between this. We have a pro day tomorrow for Justin Fields. We've got a pro day next Monday for Trey Lance. The Jets are going to both of those. I mean, there's plenty of time to make a different decision. There's plenty of injury reports and medical histories and vetting, calling old coaches. What's the player like? Hey, what do the players think of them? They're going to call old Pop Warner coaches. What was the kid like? Is it fake? You don't want to look through three years of their body of work. you got to look through everything. You call, hey, where did he work? What was the employer say? It was he on time. They do all that stuff, believe it or not. There's plenty of time to find these things and decide if they want to make a change. So I'm not sold that it's just Zach Wilson no matter what, but those are the two guys that you'd be looking at. To me, I wouldn't even consider number four Trey Lance as an option, and I certainly, certainly at pick number two would never consider Mac Jones an option. Trey Lance, he's a quarterback that right away, he's going to be interesting to watch. When he comes on the field, um, he's kind of like a Lamar Jackson style. He's hardly throwing the ball in college. He played for a very short amount of time. Yeah, he didn't throw many interceptions at all, but he basically only he, he ran as many times as he threw the ball, basically. And you don't want a quarterback playing for a small school like North Dakota State who runs the ball as much as he throws coming into the NFL, regardless of them saying that it was an NFL-style offense, it's not if you run the ball half the time. And you don't want a player like that coming in. He's not proven that he's a good passer. He's not proven that he can do it against big schools. And all he's proven is that he's extremely fast and athletic, and that can be very exciting, and it definitely can work out. And it can definitely work early. He's a guy that I could see right when he comes in. Maybe it's week six, week seven of this year. They give him some time. He comes in, and right away it's like, whoa, Trey Lance lighting it up. Look what this guy can do. He's going to be a highlight machine. It's going to be exciting. But eight years from now, what's he going to be? And when I'm looking at these guys, if you're drafting a quarterback second overall, getting rid of Sam Darnold, doing all this with your coaching regime and everything, if this really is going to work, this quarterback is going to be playing for us eight years from now. Trey Lance, to me, is not an eight-year quarterback prospect. He's a four-year quarterback prospect. He's going to be really exciting and then probably going to have a pretty steep decline. I see a bell curve of his success. And I see the same thing with Lamar Jackson, unfortunately. I just don't see Lamar Jackson playing 
really strong, successful veteran football after age 35, like so many quarterbacks are in the league these days. So Trey Lance is an option for somebody's going to grab him. After that, Mac Jones, the fifth guy. This guy's really intriguing because they keep talking about how he'd be good for the Kyle Shanahan system, and if he could go to the 49ers, he might find a lot of success there, and he might be who they're eyeing. To me, Mac Jones was a great prospect, and I really liked him. When everyone was talking about maybe it would be Kyle Trask or Mac Jones, we weren't sure. I was like, it's clearly Mac Jones. He's definitely better. But he's nowhere near as good as Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, or probably even Trey Lance. This guy's not super athletic. He played in the greatest system we've ever seen in college football, playing for Alabama. And he's a guy that you can tell him what to do, and he's probably going to do it. But he had the Heisman Trophy winning wide receiver, who was the wide receiver two on the team behind Jalen Waddell, with the running back number one in the entire country. A great offensive line, Deontay Brown, Alex Leatherwood, and more. You're going to tell me with that offense and that team and the culture and everything that they have there that it was all Mac Jones is doing and it wasn't Tua, it wasn't the guy. I mean, every single year, it doesn't matter who it is that comes in there, they're going to be successful. Mac Jones did it as well, but not enough to sell me. He doesn't have the athleticism. He doesn't have that raw, innate quarterback ability that you see where it's like, wow, this guy's just a born quarterback. It's more like... This guy's the perfect guy just to jump into that system. You don't want to call him a system quarterback yet because he's only been in one. You don't know what he's going to be like at the NFL level. But there's not enough that catches the eye when you look and watch him play that you're just like, boom, I can just see this translating and becoming really spicy really fast. And that's what you're looking for if you're going to be the first, second, third, fourth pick in the draft. So to me, Mac Jones at three would be a mistake for the 49ers. I hope they don't do it. But if they do, you know, a world of luck to them. They're going to need it. He's like... Why not just roll with Jimmy Garoppolo because he doesn't understand it? Like, I don't know. Behind that, you got my next guy, Kellen Mond, sixth quarterback. Behind him, Davis Mills, and then after that, Kyle Trask. Not super entertaining for us. Not exciting. We don't need them. Those guys are going to go somewhere. I do think that Kellen Mond is exciting and the best of the bunch back there of the Mond-Mills-Trask group, but it doesn't really matter for the Jets. After that, after the Jets take their quarterback, probably Zach Wilson, possibly Justin Fields, and you'll never know, Trey Lance, right, that 1% chance. After that, we wait 21 picks, pick again at 23 in the first round, and that one's the wild card. That one's like, do you go cornerback? A guy like J.C. Horn, really like him. Do you go offensive lineman? You could get a tackle, move him to guard, and have the best guard in the freaking country. Elijah Vera Tucker, Rayshon Slater. There's going to be some wide receivers potentially. What if Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith drop there? Would you go after him? Big-time running back, best in the country, Najee Harris. Or even the guy behind him, Travis Etienne, who they say would be perfect for the Jets system. And it makes sense when you see him play. That wide offense, ooh, that could be flashy. Or what about just going with, like, one of these great edge rushers? I really like Quiddy Pay. Or finding a versatile linebacker like Jeremiah Wusakaramoa. There's going to be a lot of options for the Jets at 23. Not all of them will be available, but there will be some. And it's going to dictate the rest of the draft because, you know, you need some position still. No way around it. The Jets need a cornerback right now. There's just no way around it. We have like three guys and they're not good. We haven't drafted one in free agency. It blows my mind. But maybe Joe Douglas is saying that the only way that he could leave free agency without going after more established cornerbacks is to say, well, we know we're going to get one in the draft. And if you know you're going to get one in the draft, well, then you have to draft one. You're, you're tying your hands behind your back saying, well, at some point we need to take one and he's got to be able to play at least somewhat. Now, I don't love that approach. I don't want to be thrown into a situation where you have to do that. And I get people are saying, like, well, the cornerback is an easier position in this defense because the way you have the pass rush and it makes the job a lot easier on the cornerbacks. It was easier in San Francisco. It'll be easier here. But still, Lamar Jackson is your cornerback three on the outside. That's going to be a world of pain. 
So I hope he makes a good decision there. I hope that we can get J.C. Horn. He's the guy that I would want at 23. After that, probably AVT. But we're going to talk more about the draft next week. I think that this week was a good closure recap episode on the Sam Darnold saga, even though I'm a little over a week late on it. It still was good to talk about it. Have to get those feelings out and everything. Um, You know, sometimes it's really convenient when the podcast lines up. Sometimes it's not so convenient. Next week's will be, because it's going to be Tuesday, or two weeks from now will be. It's going to be Tuesday, April 27th, two days before the draft. We're going to have a lot of time to figure out, all right, what are we going to do? Targets for the second round, third round, fourth round. Probably talk about the first round a little bit more. There will probably be some updates within the league. Maybe we got a little bit more uh, whispers from around the league on who the Jets could be looking at. Very exciting. Good stuff coming up. But we feel better now. Close the book on Sam Darnold. We are looking to the future. We are looking to the 2021 New York Jets. They're going to be totally new-look team. The quarterback that we have will have never played in those old jerseys as Sam Darnold once did. We'll see. Can he win our hearts? Can he play well and bring the Jets back to the playoffs where we have just been MIA for way too long? It's going to be awesome. I look forward to it. More draft talk. As always, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Engage. Talk, tweet, whatever you want to do, and thanks for joining me on this one. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 